This is the Dogs on the Hill podcast with your host, Reeves Fisakerly. Good afternoon, good day, good morning, good evening, whatever it may be. Welcome back to the Dogs on the Hill podcast. My name is Reeves Fisakerly. I am your host. Today is Tuesday. April 11th, 2023. It's about 9.30 in the morning. The NBA playoffs play-in tournament begins tonight. We will see the Atlanta Hawks play the Miami Heat at 7.30 Eastern time on TNT, and the Minnesota Timberwolves play the Los Angeles Lakers at 10 p.m. Eastern time on TNT. Both of those are 7th versus 8th place games. So Atlanta-Miami... This one, I think, will be a pretty solid Atlanta win. Or I guess I should say Atlanta will win this pretty handily. Um, I made a spreadsheet that analyzes points per game, offensive rebounds per game, defensive rebounds per game, field goal percentage, blocks, points allowed per game, your opponent's rebounds per game, your opponent's field goal percentage, all of that. Wanted to do a deep dive. The Miami Heat are in the bottom of all, of all of the 20 teams who are qualified for postseason play, the Miami Heat are by far the worst. They are at the bottom, um, and it's by a pretty large margin. The Atlanta Hawks are about in the middle, and that makes sense uh, for the Hawks to be in the middle because there has been a narrative this year that the Atlanta Hawks are, quote, mid. And we say that because uh, there was one point in the year where in their last two games, they were one and one. In their last four, they were two and two. In their last six, they were three and three. And that went all the way back to their last 24, where they were 12 and 12. So I think for a team that is pretty mediocre, facing a team that is at least statistically pretty bad, um, I would personally favor the Hawks uh, big time in this game. The matchup predictor and the spread actually do favor Miami, though. So, that's something to go for them. ESPN's FPI Analytics has the Heat with a 56% chance to win, and Vegas has the spread at minus 4.5 for the Heat and the money line at minus 205 for the Heat. Now, it is at the Heat Stadium. The Heat are the higher seed, I believe. Yes, the Heat are the seventh seed. The Heat actually won their division this year. They won the Southeast. It was the Heat, the Hawks, and then the Wizards, Magic, and Hornets. Those last three did not make it at all. So despite me, just no pun intended, but flaming the Heat, at least statistically, uh, they are still favored to win this game. But if it were me, I would pick the Hawks and I would feel pretty confident with them getting a road win. The other game tonight is the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I think the Lakers are big favorites uh, in this one. First of all, the matchup predictor has them with an 87% chance to win. Vegas has the line or the spread at minus 8.5 in favor of LA. And the money line is minus 385 favoring the Lakers. Now, according to that spreadsheet that I cited earlier that I created, yes, that also does favor the Lakers by about two points, which is a solid margin. And if you have not heard Rudy Gobert, will not be playing in this game for the Minnesota Timberwolves as he is serving a suspension for 
I don't know who we punched. I don't know if it was an official or another player or someone on staff. I, I do not have that information, but he threw a punch. So Rudy Gobert will not be playing for the Timberwolves. Um, and yeah, I think that's going to hurt them. I don't. I didn't like the Timberwolves' chances before, but um, I definitely don't like them now. This game is in LA. It's at what used to be called Staples Center and is now Crypto.com Arena. It's still going to take me some time to get used to saying that. But I would have liked the Lakers before. The Lakers actually did, despite having a pretty overall, I don't want to say disappointing season because they didn't make the playoffs, but um, not the greatest season. Despite that, though, they did make the playoffs. They are hosting this game, and they finished well. They finished strong. It's all about how you finish. Um, I constantly like to cite the St. Louis Blues winning the 2019 Stanley Cup. Uh, as an example here, in January, they were the worst in the league, went on a winning streak, finished third in the division, and they carried that heat in the playoffs to win a title. So it's how you finish, and the Lakers finished strong. They pieced it together near the end. They went 8-2 and two in their last 10 games, two-game win streak. That's uh, that's really good. That's really nice. Um, that lines up nice, good for them. And also... I'm a big advocate for experience. Experience means everything. And LeBron James uh, is LeBron James. He's won four NBA titles, and he's one of the best players of all time. So I definitely like LeBron in this matchup. I like the Lakers here. Not really much else to add in that one. Now tomorrow, we will see the Chicago Bulls and the Toronto Raptors. The Bulls and the Raptors currently favors Toronto in the matchup predictor and the spread, minus five. It is at Toronto. It's at Scotiabank Arena. And the money line is at minus 210. According to my stats page that I cite, uh, both of these teams are actually in the lower half, and neither of them place very high. But the Bulls are above the Raptors by about one point, so it's a lot closer. And one thing that might help the Bulls is they have nobody on IR. The Raptors have two players on IR, uh, OG Anubi and Fred Van Fleet. Both of them are currently listed as doubtful the bulls are three and two in their last five so are the raptors bulls are on a two-game win streak raptors are on a one-game win streak i think this one might be one of the closest um and we shall see what happens there thunder and pelicans the pelicans are currently have a 63 percent chance to win the thunder are listed at 36 uh the spread also favors new orleans it's minus five and the money line 225 my spreadsheet, the Pelicans are favored. Uh, the Thunder, like the Heat, are in the basement of these rankings. Uh, so I would comfortably take the home team in this one. The, the thing that may hurt the Pelicans, however, is that Zion Williamson is still listed as out. It's kind of hard to win when your star player is not playing, but they were able to piece together a season that was over 542-40 against the Thunder team, who is 40-42. and 42. After these games complete, we will have some TBD to be determined eighth seed games on Friday, and then the playoffs will begin play on Saturday, or I guess I should say the full-blown playoffs where everybody participates. Now, I will have an episode coming out before the NBA playoffs start this Saturday. It will be solely dedicated to my bracket. Who, who do I see winning it all? Who do I see winning the series and in how many games? So... This spreadsheet that I have alluded to in today's episode, I will go into it in much more detail in that episode, and um, I'll talk through what the numbers say, 
versus what I think. Do I agree with my own math? Um, do I have a gut feeling that contradicts it and says otherwise? So make sure you tune in for that episode when it goes live, which will be before the playoffs start this Saturday. So the Baltimore Ravens, I have talked a lot about them on this show, particularly in regards to Lamar Jackson and his contract situation. And though I'm not going to exclusively touch on that today, I will be kind of touching on it a little bit because the Baltimore Ravens have signed Odell Beckham Jr. on a one-year contract that could be worth up to $18 million, but is worth $15 million guaranteed. Lamar immediate direct impact here is that the Ravens improve a wide receivers room that is pretty much non-existent. One of the biggest things we've seen Lamar go through, one of the struggles that he's had is he doesn't really have, I don't want to say he doesn't really have wide receivers, but as far as elite wide receivers go, Baltimore has looked pretty thin on them ever since Lamar has been a part of that organization. So immediately it improves that room. But it's hard to look at this signing without looking at the long term here. Odell is not signed to a long term contract. It is a one year contract. It is very much the opposite of long term. You have to think that this signing, I don't want to say he's made out of desperation, but it is made strictly to get Lamar to come back to Baltimore. And I don't know how effectively this signing is going to do that. Because Lamar has already made it perfectly clear that he doesn't want to be in Baltimore. He has said on numerous occasions that they won't pay him what he thinks he's worth. He has requested a trade out of Baltimore. This relationship is pretty much as messy as it could possibly get. Even signing a guy like Odell, I don't really think that's going to help matters much, at least in terms of trying to get Lamar to come back, uh, trying to get Lamar to sign a deal. Because Lamar, assuming nobody offer sheets him, already will come back and be on the Ravens next year because of that non-exclusive franchise tag that they placed on him. And I've heard it cited that people in the industry believe Odell signed to go to Baltimore knowing that Lamar would come back because their point or their argument is Odell Beckham Jr. is not the kind of guy to sign a one-year deal somewhere just to get money. He's the type of guy to sign a one-year deal somewhere to win a Super Bowl. And yeah, I mean, that, make, that makes sense. He did that with the Rams. He's building off of that. Why would a guy like Odell sign a one-year at a place where their quarterback situation is uncertain? I would think that he wouldn't, but the Ravens quarterback situation is uncertain. I don't really know how to read this signing. I had said on this show a, a, maybe a couple weeks ago that I think it's very possible that Lamar doesn't get offer sheeted. He comes back to the Ravens, but he just chooses to sit out and refuses to play. I think this is a move that if he doesn't get an offer sheet and he comes back, it encourages him to at least play. That's the best I can see or the best way that I can logically think about this move and how it was made and why it was made. But yeah, Odell Beckham Jr. is returning to the AFC. He's returning to the AFC North, uh, and he's playing for the Baltimore Ravens. All right, I would like to hit some hockey real quick. 
The NHL season has almost concluded. Uh, it's an 82-game season. Most teams have played either 80 or 81 games. There's a couple who have only played 79. But as far as the playoff picture currently, all three team, all of the divisional spots are locked. The three Atlantic teams will be the Bruins, Maple Leafs, and Lightning. The three Metro teams will be Hurricanes, Devils, Rangers, Central, Avalanche, Stars, Wild, and Pacific, Golden Knights, Oilers, Kings. In the West, the Kraken have claimed one of the wild cards, and that last playoff spot will either go to the Winnipeg Jets or the Nashville Predators. The Jets currently have the edge with 93 points. The Predators have 90. Uh, both of those teams have two games left to play. In the East, there's four teams competing for two spots. Currently, the Panthers and the Islanders have the lead, but the Penguins and the Sabres are still in it. Panthers have 92 points, Islanders 91, Penguins 90, and Sabres 87. The Panthers and the Islanders both only have one game left. The Penguins have two, and the thing that helps the Sabres is they have three. So they're currently on a three-game win streak. Uh, if they keep that going, maybe they could find their way into the playoffs. And I would honestly like to see it because the Sabres have not done much in a decade plus. But this year, they just hit 40 wins on the season last night. They have an overall overall record of 40-32-7. And, and this is the first time that they've hit 40 wins since 2010. The Boston Bruins hit 63 wins on the year. That is monstrous. They have a, rec they have a record of 63 12 and 5. Before the Bruins broke the record, it was held by it was a tie. It was held by the 1995 Detroit Red Wings team and the 2018 Tampa Bay Lightning team. Both of those teams recorded 62 wins in a season, uh, and then the Boston Bruins broke that to hit 63. The Bruins still have two games left to play, too, so they could extend that. Now let's look at who those are. Tonight, they will play the Washington Capitals, and on Thursday, they will play the Montreal Canadiens. They're playing the Capitals at home and the Canadiens on the road. I'm, it's easy to say this when the Bruins are the best team in the league, but they definitely do look like favorites to win these games, and I would say they're heavy favorites. Both of the Capitals and the Canadiens will miss the playoffs. They've been eliminated from contention already. So it would help them to lose, to tank, to try to get Badar. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're... They're pretty far out of that conversation already. Um, but the Bruins are probably going to be resting some guys. Now, currently, against the Capitals tonight, Boston, the money line favors them. It's minus 285. And against the Canadians on Thursday, uh, well, that's not public information yet. But regardless, I, I like the Bruins to win at least one of these games, if not both of them. I think it would be really cool to see them win both. That would set the new record to 65. But right now it's 63, and I think it has a really good shot of at least hitting 64. All right, we've been focusing on some teams. Let's look at some players' stats. Eric Carlson has hit 100 points on the season as a member of the San Jose Sharks, which let's just acknowledge that for a second. Uh, the San Jose Sharks, who are awful, they're 22, 42, and 16. Uh, they're definitely eliminated. Uh, they have Eric Carlson, who has scored 100 points on the season. Eric Carlson is a defenseman. He's the first defenseman to hit 100 points since 1991. The last player to do that, the one who did it in 1991, was Brian Leach. 
Breaking down those points, Brian Leach, when he did it, uh, he finished with 102 points on the season. That was in 80 games played. He had 22 goals and 80 assists. Eric Carlson, currently on the year, has 25 goals and 75 assists for 100. The Sharks also have two games left to play on the season. They will play the Calgary Flames on the road tomorrow and the Edmonton Oilers on the road on Thursday. Calgary will also not be competing in the playoffs this year, but Edmonton will. I'm not going to comment on their the Sharks' capabilities of winning these games, but uh, maybe Carlson can score some more. That would be pretty cool. Maybe he could tie Leach. That would be awesome. Um, so good luck to Eric Carlson. Uh, if we're talking about Norris Trophy, he's definitely my front runner right now. Um, dude scored 100 points. I feel like that's uh, that's my case. Eric Carlson's a defenseman, and he scored 100 points. And we haven't seen somebody do that in, how long ago was 1991? 30 years plus? Yeah, that's that's my vote. Easy. Carlson is one of 10 players in the NHL to score 100 points this season, and he's a defenseman. The next highest number of points scored by a defenseman this year is Josh Morrissey of Winnie, of Winnipeg, who has the 35th most points scored this year uh, at 75. So that's a pretty, pretty drastic difference. Josh Morrissey has the same number of points as Eric Carlson does assists. So shout out Eric Carlson. He definitely deserves the Norris this year, no question. And while we're looking at the points, uh, Connor McDavid, Still number one, 64 goals, 87 assists for 151 points on the year. And Leon Dreisaitl, his teammate and linemate, is right behind him with 124. Absolutely insane. Also, Joe Pavelski and Claude Giroux, both uh, NHL vets in their own right, have both hit 1,000 career points. They hit it last night. Pavel Pavelski did it in a Stars 6-1 to win over the Red Wings. Uh, by doing so, they also clinched home ice in the first round. Now, uh, we don't know if they're going to be the one or the two seed in their division. They're fighting that out with Colorado right now, but they will get home ice the first round. And then Claude Giroux did it with the Senators last night in a 3-2 to two win at home over the Hurricanes. The Senators are not in the playoffs, but we can still celebrate uh, those player achievements right now. Pavelski had a goal on the night yesterday to put him at 1,000 career points. Giroux had two goals and an assist last night. That actually put him at 1,001 career points. So congratulations to both of those NHL veterans on hitting that huge milestone. And here's a fun thing for NHL history. Last night was the first night ever in NHL history that two players both hit 1,000 career points in the same night. All right, we're going to conclude today uh, with one more segment, we're going to go over to the, to the MLB and the dog of the day. He will be mentioned in this game. So the Tampa Bay Rays are absolutely shattering MLB records right now. They are 10 and 0. They're the first team to start 10 and 0 since the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers, who got up to 13 and 0 before losing. Yesterday against the Boston Red Sox was their third straight shutout. Uh, the last team to do that was the Cleveland at the time. They were called the Cleveland Indians, uh, and that was in 2017. The Rays, yes, they're 10-0 now, but in their first nine games when they were 9-0, they had won all of those games by four or more runs. Their run differential of plus 58 
is the best run differential to start a season in the first 10 games since the St. Louis Maroons did it. And what year did they do it? 1884. That's the best run differential we've seen in over 100 years. The state of the MLB in 1884, the MLB as we know it today didn't exist. The American League didn't exist. In 1884, there were only eight teams and they were just in the National League. So that's ridiculous. The Rays are just tearing it up right now. Now, I'm seeing questions asked everywhere if the Rays are legit this year. And uh, I would say, yes, absolutely they are. However, it's a 160-game season, and we're only about 10 games into it. But third straight shutout. This hasn't happened since 2017. First team since to start 10-0. Hasn't happened since 1987. Best run differential since 1884 in the first 10 games of the year. And then winning by four or more in the four, first nine. The Rays are insane. Now, another fair criticism is that they haven't played, they, they haven't really played the strongest teams. Their first series was against the Tigers, then against the Nationals, then against the Athletics, and they just started a series against the Red Sox. Sure, fine. Okay, they haven't played the strongest teams. But a win is a win. And they're not only winning, they are dominating. So I'm excited to see how the rest of this Red Sox series is going to play off. They, are, they won the first game yesterday, obviously 1-0. Um, and yeah, the Rays are going to be fun to watch this year. So um, great start. Great way to be. 10 games in. Let's see how the next 150 plus go. Now, I was actually at the game on Sunday against the Oakland A's. Uh, and I went with my brother. We went over to St. Petersburg for that. And uh, I remember on the way over to that game, I was like, wow, I really hope the Rays save some offense because on Saturday they beat the A's 11-0. So um, I hope we get to see some. I hope they save some from, for us. Um, not only did they give us some offense, I saw my first ever Grand Slam in person. And that was really cool. And the person who did it was Brandon Lau. And he is my dog of the day. Brandon Lau. It's the bottom of the, I believe, the fourth inning. The Rays are up 1-0. Bases are loaded. Two outs. Brandon Lau comes up to bat, and I said to my brother, I was like, oh, come on. Let's let's get something. I wasn't even asking for a grand slam. I just saw, I mean, we had a guy in scoring position. Bases are loaded. Just, let's just get something. Get something here. First pitch that is thrown when Lau steps up to bat. It's going, it's going, it's going, it's going, it's gone. Grand slam. It was insane. In a matter of seconds, we went from 1-0 with loaded bases to 5-0. to And the final score of that game was 11-0. So at two days in a row, the Rays beat the A's 11-0. In 18 innings in 48 hours, the Rays outscored the A's 22-0. Brandon Lau also yesterday against the Red Sox hits a home run in the eighth inning, the only run that the A's scored that day. So congratulations to Brandon Lau on being the dog of the day today. Congratulations to the Tampa Bay Rays on just being absolute menaces right now. They are killing it. I'd love to see it continue. Uh, let's see. Let's take let's take it small marks at a time. It looks like the next thing they got to do is hit that thirteen and zero mark that the Brewers hit in nineteen eighty seven. 
But before we can talk about 13, we got to get to 11. So good luck to the Rays. I like it when teams do well. So keep it going. Keep it going. Let's see it. Especially a team like the Rays who, I mean, they don't really have, their fan base is not that big. I was really surprised. Even when we went to that game, they were 9-0 and when I went to the game on Sunday. And there were not a lot of people there. I know the Rays have had attendance problems for years, which has also tapped into some of their relocation rumors, but I'd rather focus on the good right now. The Rays are playing great baseball. Would love to see it continue. And, I mean, they won the American League in 2020. Is it too early to say that they'll win the American League in 2023? Yeah, I'm going to answer my own question. It is way too early to answer that. But they look really great. Thank you so much for tuning in to... Today's episode of Dogs on the Hill. I'm your host, Reeves with Zachary Lee. And remember to come back before Saturday. The NBA playoffs start on Saturday. I will have an episode solely dedicated to walking through the NBA bracket with my advanced analytics. Uh, I hope you'll join me for that. And I hope to have you back in the next episode.